One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Welcome to episode 151 of the podcast, everybody, with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. A different episode this week, partly because we're together, that's unusual um, on its own, but we're also in the car. Yes. We haven't done this before. It's six o'clock on a Monday morning and I'm driving down the yeah. M4. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's very early in the morning. Um, the old grey matter might not be sparking just yet, certainly not mine, um, but we're in the car. Now, we've cho- I think we've chosen a reasonable car for this. We're in a, a Lexus LC500, um, which is at least a fairly refined, civilised, quietish car. Quietish, yes. Um, so hopefully there won't be too much background noise. Better, I would suggest, than the Alpine A110 you're running at the moment. It does have a naturally aspirated V8 in the front. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's good, actually, because later on we are going to be talking about the best-sounding engine configuration. Ooh! And clearly the it's N- almost like we planned it. I know. And clearly the NAV8 is up there. Um, I hope you all heard that well. So, I mean, we're doing this now because we're actually on our way to photograph a couple of very special cars for the intercooler for a, for a story coming soon. And a video, actually. Um, so it's worth it. It's worth getting up early and schlepping across the country. Um, but we're doing this now because this was actually our only opportunity to record a podcast after the first round of the 2023 F1 season. So we had the Bahrain Grand Prix yesterday. Um, and we thought it would be a good idea to save this recording until after because, well, it's going to be such a competitive season, isn't it? It's going to be amazing. I, I, it's never been so close to the front, have <laughs> How many times? We're on the record several times of saying oh, it's going to be dear, closer, dear, it's going to be a dear. fight for the championship. What do we know? Mercedes are not going to drop the ball again. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you, I'm sure you all know Max Verstappen won barring Grand Prix in his Red Bull very comfortably ahead of his teammate. Um, and I, the Mercedes were nowhere. Um, the Ferraris were not on on Red Bull's pace, and one of them, Leclerc's car, failed. Um, and I said, I tweeted from the TI Twitter account, if it wasn't for those flying Aston Martins, yeah. you would think this was the 23rd round of the 2022 season because the narrative just sort of spilled over you would and you know and and I think the ominous thing is you know he was dropping Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari at a second a lap and my guess is that after about three of those laps he was probably just I think he probably already had already backed off I mean if you looked at what he was able to do the gap he was able to maintain, whether he was on the soft tyre or the hard tyre, they didn't have any medium, so I don't think the medium was particularly favoured. Um, he was so on top of it. I mean, there was a bit in commentary on Sky yesterday um, where uh, Crofty was sort of saying, oh, well, you know, um, you know, they're going to have to do two stints on hard, on hard tyres. And Martin Brundle was saying, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. You know, they have got... Well, certainly Max has such an advantage... He can do what he likes. He can come in, he can do as many pit stops as he likes. So they're almost, for him, there's almost no need for strategy. Because (laughs) he's just... The speed is there. The speed is there. And and, and strategy only becomes really, really important when it's marginal. 
because strategy is not going to put you. I mean, he finished 50 seconds ahead of the fastest Mercedes. Yeah. I think it was a 57 lap race. Yeah. It's almost a second a lap. Yeah. Most That's of which, almost, almost all of which, he would have just been cruising. Yeah. And he dropped the Mercedes at a second a lap. I mean, that's... Oh, I mean, I'm not having an opinion on whether, you know, I know lots of people love Max, and I know an awful lot of people don't love Max. And I'm not saying anything in another direction. What I am saying is it does not bode well for this season. No, no it really, really doesn't. And we got it spectacular. I came on I came on this podcast, and I go, <laughs> you watch, guys, you just watch, because, you know, Mercedes, they never drop the ball twice. <laughs> um, they're going to be right up there, and... Yeah, okay, Red Bulls are going to come on, but they have such a good car, they can't really develop much further, and the Ferraris, well, they're not going to completely cock it up again, are they? So, uh, so just watch. Don't listen to us. Well, I, I, no, but I thought the same. Um, it's hard to know where to start. Well, let, let's just cover off Ferrari, because yeah. um, not, neither in qualifying nor in the race did they have the pace of the Red Bulls. No. Um, and watching Leclerc's car grind to a halt halfway or two-thirds of the way through the race whatever it was it was just so familiar wasn't it from last season it was it um, was and you know and, and I, think, I think the worry about Ferrari is you know they haven't even got you know the ultimate qualifying pace of Max I mean Charles did a very very good job in qualifying um, but there's such a difference isn't there between you know a lap yeah. and a race yeah. and they just haven't got the race pace at all um, you know, once you know, and, and, and actually, I think it was quite a smart decision, a smart strategy decision from Ferrari. Who'd have thought it? But to throw qualifying, yeah, to not send Charles out for that second run, so that he had a new set of softs, which you know he could try and get the drop on Max. Um, and okay, fine, he got the he, he got the drop on on um, Perez, uh, but but Max was gone. Yeah, yeah. So as Brundle said, tyres strategy it just didn't matter it just didn't matter he was gone yeah. now you can't you, I don't think at this stage and the, you know after one round of a 23 round season you can say definitively it is over because you know we know that different tracks do different things um, and maybe someone will get their shit together but I mean it's the problem was he didn't just win the way did he he walked it yeah, and how much do you think of that? How much do you think of it? Because Checo didn't walk it, did he? I mean, Checo, I think, would have been, probably would have been beaten by Leclerc if he'd kept going. Yeah. So how much do you think of it is Max? And how much do you think... And how significant do you think the fact that Perez appears to be unable to really play that number two role um, is, could be over, over a season? I mean, maybe you could have a situation where Ferrari really get their stuff together and they, you know, they come second and third a lot and pick up the odd win that they could be at least be somewhere in the constructors. Do you think that's a possibility or do you think I'm just kind of like hoping? Well, I think it's too early really to make any kind of judgment after round one. But if I, my feeling, my gut instinct is that the Red Bull is further ahead than it's ever been. And I, I don't think I remember a more dominant first round of the season. Um, particularly when we've all been expecting a much more competitive one. I have to say, I think based on what we saw yesterday 2023 could be a more dominant season for Max and Red Bull than 2022 which is frightening I mean Max won what was it 15 races last year um, yeah and the only reason he didn't completely dominate from start to finish is that they had reliability problems right at the start of the right season right at the start of the season yeah, I mean he, he, those, I think he DNF'd in two out of the first three races he didn't did, he did yeah he did yeah so they've put those troubles behind them and they've still got the pay I, I don't know it's it's staggering, actually, and it's it's so it's actually a bit gutting, isn't it? As a fan of the sport, as a spectator, you want competition, and one team, and particularly one driver, streets ahead of the rest. I mean, it feels to me, um, and you'll remember this because you were minus eight at the time. It feels like 1978 when Lotus appeared with a thing called Lotus 79, and this concept called ground effects. Yeah. Um, and literally from the start of the season everybody else thought actually I don't think the 79 was there right at the start of the season but whenever, whenever it turned up yeah. everybody else knew that until they did that they yeah. were nowhere yeah. Yeah. and the only thing they could hope for and it actually happened quite a bit was for a little bit of you know traditional Lotus unreliability yeah. uh, and that was literally the, you know the, their chances of a championship or their chance of winning a race basically depended on the Lotus breaking 
That was it? Yeah. Red Bull ain't going to break, is it? No. No, it's not. It has that feel about it. And the other thing that worries me is, it's really so doom and gloom about this, but if this was this time last year and you're thinking to yourself, well, new season, completely new rule book, everybody's trying to get their head around it, everybody is playing catch-up, um, yeah, there's still something to play for. You know, maybe... Red Bull have arrived at the beginning of the season and, and, and they've done the best job so far but maybe other people have got developments because they're still trying to figure out this rule but well everybody's figured it out now yeah. or they should have done yeah. um, you know they've had a year to think about it they've had a, specifically a winter to you know to do all the things that they were unable to do last year and I think they're further ahead than ever yeah yeah I think they are or one of them is yeah it's, it is just staggering um, we'll come on to Mercedes in a moment but first of all well, you don't do this because you're driving, but a round of applause to Aston Martin. Absolutely. Seriously. I mean, where has that come from? Yeah. They were, in qualifying, the fastest Aston was two and a half seconds quicker than last year. I mean, okay, some of that's Fernando, clearly. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love to know, and maybe someone can tell us, if a team has ever shown yeah. that pace increase without a rule change just an evolution from one from one season to the next has suddenly gone two and a half seconds quicker yeah because the Honda to Braun was a big rule change wasn't it uh, not an enormous rule change but there was a, yeah but it had a different engine didn't it uh, yes yeah it did so yeah, you know it went from a Honda to a Mercedes engine and yeah, so, you know, and the rules did yeah, change yeah. That, yeah and so and, and you know and, and and also you know they had the double diffuser which yeah. you know and, and there's well I mean, maybe there is something on the Aston Martin which nobody else has figured out um, I kind of hope so um, but um, yeah I mean it's, without with all other things being equal so far as we are aware I don't know of a single team that has ever shown that kind of increase in, in, in form just from one season to the next it is it's unbelievable and, and also um, I'm driving so I won't I, th- I think a, a round of applause to Stroll as well because yeah. you know this guy you know the son of the business owner he has had so much you know so much insinuated against him but actually given that you know he's just come back from what was it 12 say surgery 12 days ago or something yeah, yeah. Um, given who his teammate is now to get that close in those conditions, I think, fair play. I really, really do. Yeah, and it's not like he was, you know, uh, at the tail of that front pack. He beat one of the Mercedes. He finished ahead of Russell. Um, so he, yeah, that a fine performance from Lance Stroll. Um, but it, fair play to them. Fair play to Aston Martin. Um, Fernando on the podium. Um, he was racing like the best of them wasn't he like he was oh I mean actually yeah, yeah I mean and, and that's the thing it's, it, it, it isn't just the Aston when you look at the way he got past Lewis yeah. I mean he got past you know the the most successful and and certainly according to our readers greatest Formula 1 driver of all time you know and he knew he wasn't just going to be able to just do the conventional DRSA he knew he had to do something which Lewis just wasn't expecting yeah. um, and it uh, it was, it was, you know, it was so good to watch those two. They've got a combined age of something beginning with an eight, I think, or, 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 <laughs> close, or, or, to or close to it. Um, and just to watch them out there, and just to watch, just to sort of the skill of both of them to race, to race that close in those conditions, and just, yeah, it was, it was, re- it was one of, frankly, you know, not enough really yeah. entertaining, exciting moments from that race. Yeah. Um, people are calling the Aston Martin the Green Bull because it is. I'm not going to say it's a facsimile of the Red Bull, but it's it copies or it <laughs> takes significant inspiration from the Red Bull design philosophy. Well, okay, yeah, it's going around a little bit, but um, it's and why not? Because the Red Bull was the gun car last year. Why not copy it? Why not do what they do? And the the major point is that Dan Fallow, who's a former Red Bull aerodynamicist working under Adrian Newey, is now leading the way at Aston Martin. Um, and I think a few other engineers went with him as well, um, and they've they've done what Red Bull have done, and produced uh, by the looks of it a mega quick car by doing so. Yeah, but they've got the back end of a Mercedes, haven't they? they have, yeah. So they've got the powertrain and the gearbox and the rear suspension off the Mercedes. Yeah. Um, and also, um, they use. I yeah. mean, at the moment, I think they're having their own tunnel built, but they use Mercedes tunnels, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. So what odds of there being? A Mercedes employee lurking in the background next time the Aston runs through the 
the wind tunnel. I guess I'm guessing there are rules about that. I'm sure there are. Um, and you know, and, and, and you know, and, and Aston Martin will be in a position where, you know, they are a Mercedes customer team. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. We, obviously, the Aston Martin race team is effectively the Lawrence Stroll race team and Aston Martin brand it. Um, but nevertheless, you know, Mercedes is a major shareholder of yeah. Aston Martin, the car company. Um, and you know, Mercedes go, oh, I, you know, wouldn't mind a quick peek at the old data. Yeah. I don't even know if they're allowed to do that. No. Are Aston going to go on your bike, chum? I don't know. But it's a closer relationship than Red Bull Mercedes, isn't it? Much closer. Uh, you're just a bit, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, well, congratulations to, Red Bull, to Aston Martin, as we say. But Mercedes, so they Ugh. they persevered with their fundamental car concept from last year yeah thinking that through the winter they could get it to a point where it's competitive now they've made progress because the thing wasn't leaping up and down it wasn't porpoising like it was before yeah um, which is something but there's no pace in the car I, do you know I, to an extent and this will sound weird I think the fact that it's not porpoising is almost bad news and I'll, and I'll say why because when it was porpoising they knew what the problem was yeah yeah? yeah, they they thought, and I thought think that they were, they had every right to think that they had a really quick car if they could just unlock the speed, and if they could stop the bloody thing jumping up and down, they'd be up there. And by the end of the race, by the end of the season, it you know, Let's not forget, they were pretty competitive, and they won a race. Yeah. Um, this year, my understanding is the car did everything they expected it to do. It is absolutely the car they expected it to be. You know, they had all their targets. It's hit all their targets. And what they have appeared to have failed to appreciate is just how far everybody else would move in the same time. And where they are now, I suspect, is where they expected and hoped to be at the beginning of last season. Yeah. Um, They're a year year behind. They're a year behind and everybody else has moved on. Um, And... You know, that, given that there is no apparent fundamental problem with the car, you know, Lewis just says, oh, it just hasn't got any downforce. Uh, we just need more downforce. Uh, because I think it's okay on the brakes, I think it's okay in slow corners, I think it's okay on the straights. It just, it's just in the quick stuff that it really, really struggles. Um, that's really hard to get back. Yeah. Really hard. And when you are a second a lap off a cruising max, I mean, that is doesn't bode well it really doesn't and maybe the most extraordinary part of it all is that even after qualifying Toto Wolf had come out and said yeah I don't think this car's ever going to be competitive I don't know what to think about that I mean can you imagine the effect on morale in the team because yeah. you know those guys would have worked as hard as anybody else and you know and it may be that their you know, that their concept was wrong but do you bust your chops you were basically you, you bust your chops all last year um, for really precious little by the standards from which you are, you are used to and then you do it again all over the winter and you have one bad race and your boss comes out and goes well that's rubbish yeah. you know throw the, throw the car away start again um, you know you must just think what was it all for yes all that work all that hope all that expectation and then Ugh, it must. I mean, I thought. I thought it was a very strange thing to say in public, mm. um, just from a point of view of being a team leader and yeah. you know and trying to keep the troops, you know, motivated and keep morale good. You know, to come out at the end of you know with a, with twenty two races left to go, to come out and go. Well, it's just rubbish, yeah. uh, and we can't fix it. You know, maybe even if that's the truth, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said that. I would have just come out and go, well, okay, we've clearly got a lot of work to do, yeah. and you know, at, at least have presented the front of, you know, of, of being, you know, battered but bullish. unbowed and yeah. bullish and, and, and optimistic because I don't think that teams get over their problems by being told they're rubbish. No. <coughs> there are going to be some long, glum faces turning up to Brackley this morning. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, in, in other interviews, Toto was saying that he believes it's not just development that they need now, they need radical change. 
So if you're Toto, do you, okay, do you bin the car now? Do you go, okay, fine, we're going to effectively, we'll, we'll do what we can, we'll pick up the points that we can, um, but are we going to, because, you know, the other problem, the other problem is the budget cap. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. They can't just go, you know, even Mercedes-Benz with, you know, very, very, very deep pocket, can't just go, oh, we'll just throw money at the problem. We'll just develop next. We'll, we'll just get this whole other team of people to develop next year's car. They're limited on staff and they're limited on funds, <coughs> and so you know they can't do that. So I don't. I don't know what they do. If you truly believe that you will never shut close the gap, do you spend all that time and money developing a car which you know can't win, or do you just go? I mean, it's so, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got, you're accountable to sponsors, you're accountable to a very large car manufacturer, you're accountable to your um, millions of fans the world over, none of whom want to see you just go, oh, well, sod it, that's, you know, yeah. there's no point. Yeah. It's almost impossible to know. I mean, do they forget this concept, switch, if it's even possible, switch to a more Red Bull star concept, and just research and develop that throughout this year? with a view to next year it's extraordinary that we're already discussing the possibility of Mercedes throwing this year but even then even if they do that do they not then run the risk of a repeat performance and find themselves at the beginning of next year where everybody else was at the beginning of this year well that's the danger and I guess that's why they stuck with their original concept because they must truly believe that there is potential in there and if you just do what Red Bull have done are you permanently a year behind? Yeah, but, the, but well, yes, indeed. But the point is, is they think, as I'm my understanding, they think that they've unlocked the potential. They think this car yeah. is doing what it's meant to do, and it's just what it's, it's meant not. to do just is not as good as as, as everything else. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I really, really thought they'd be back with a bang. I really thought they would be. This is a good time to mention again that I got twenty quid on George Russell to be the world champion. I mean. <laughs> Oh my goodness, what was I thinking of? I thought I was thinking of. I was thinking of 8 to 1, that's why I did it. I thought 8 to 1, and I just thought, well, Mercedes, they're not going to drop the ball twice, and I would back um, over a season George to come out ahead of Lewis, as he did last year. Well, I mean, I got that wrong both counts as far as from from what we could see from from Bahrain. I mean, yeah, George just had had quite a sort of quiet race, didn't he? He just. He did, he did. Didn't do anything. And, but also, you know, okay, let's let's just talk about Lewis for a for, for a little bit. I mean, you know, he drove beautifully. Uh, he made no mistakes. He was do, he was you know the usual elder statesman on the blur at the end of the race, saying, "Come on, guys, you know, it wasn't what we wanted, but you know, you know, there's lots to fight for, and we're going to keep on pushing and everything else." And I think actually that's Lewis doing what Toto should be doing. Yeah, yeah he'd be raging the, inside yeah. and behind closed doors. Yeah, of course. But you know, that's that's Lewis actually just thinking, you know, thinking not of Lewis because. Yeah, there were years past when he just packed the dummy. I know he would because yeah. you know, he's such a he's such a changed person now, um, and you know he, he he has become this sort of well, yeah, almost this sort of team leader figure. Uh, anyway, so but from his point of view, whatever he however whatever he you know says on team radio, which he knows is going to be broadcast to the world, underneath uh, all, he must be thinking, really? Yeah, he must. Really, another year. Another year. I mean. I work this out, okay. So, let's say forget 2023. So, okay, yeah. 2024, and let's say the championship is decided towards the end of the year. If that champion were Lewis, the next oldest person to have won a world title was Jack Brabham, by the, which by then would have been 58 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. but even if you Older guys tend not to win F1. Jet. Well, okay, so Nigel won one when he was just 39. Yeah. But even that, by next year, will be 32 years ago. Yeah. You know, Mario won one when he was 38. Prost won one when he was 38 or 39. But all those champions, even though, even though to, you know, to me, those guys sound like sort of contemporaries, it's all a very long time ago. No one in the last 30 years, so the last generation, of that age has won a title. Yeah. Um, not I mean, if anybody can do it, clearly it's Lewis. But he must be thinking, is it? Well, maybe he isn't. Maybe he is as motivated as ever. And you know, I don't know. But I, you know, I just feel a bit sorry for him because I think he just 
had every reason to expect that having really, really, you know, after the nightmare of Abu Dhabi 2021, yeah. and then the sort of, you know, the adding the insult to the injury of the 2022 season, you know, I think he must have he must have thought, well, we'll be in with a shout this year. Mm. I'm sure he did. And he, who knows how long he'll go on, but he probably doesn't have years and years and years for Mercedes to get their act together. Except he'll say Fernando, won't he? Well, that's right, and Fernando's still racing like he's 24, and perhaps that gives Lewis some kind of inspiration. I mean, let, let, let us say you know, Max fell under the proverbial number 59 bus, yeah. and they put Fernando in that car. He would be world champion, wouldn't he? Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, a bloke, yeah, so I, I think it is possible for a man in his 40s to do it to become world champion even now even though it's been so many such a long time since anything like that has ever happened but I think you have to have an absolutely extraordinary person and you know I think Fernando is turning out to be this I mean this incredible figure and not just for his speed over a lap but for the fact that he was you know I tweeted something the other day you know when he won his first race which I think was in 2003 Max's dad was in it yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That is amazing. And to be that competitive over that period of time. To still care that much. To still care and to still still be that racy. Yeah. Um yeah, you need to be a certain sort of very, very special person. And you know, maybe Lewis is that person. Maybe Lewis in three, four years' time will still be out there, still knocking it right, but I'd understand if he just got to the stage where he just thought, This isn't happening. Yeah. Hope he doesn't. Oh, Mercedes. Um, so, a quick word on McLaren, because they get a, a wooden spoon as well. Dreadful. It looked dreadful. It looked abs- okay, so they had problems, didn't they? Yeah. So, Piastri had to retire, and Lando had to keep on coming into his pneumatics um, top top. So, um, my ju- and actually, actually, even though he was in the process of being lapped, there was a bit when... Uh, Lewis and Fernando were having their lovely little battle and Lando was there and he stayed with them yeah did you know what tyres he was on I didn't see so maybe it's the same tyres and maybe he was there on pace but I'm just aware there might have been a tyre offset Um, they might well then so I can't ask that question yeah but he did stay with them he did stay with them potentially there's there's something in that car but dearie me I mean relative to what they would be expecting from the season I would be more worried were I um, where I Toto than if I where I Zach. I think Zach will think, well, that was a terrible weekend, and you get yeah. you, those things happen in Formula One, and we may not be right up the front, but um, there are reasons, and you know, and and, and there, there is something to play for relative to their expectations. And the thing is, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, if most teams had had Mercedes the weekend that Mercedes had, where they came, what did they come fourth and sixth? Yeah, fourth and fifth. Mercedes fourth and sixth. Yeah. Yes. Well, Lewis was fourth. Yes. Um, no, no, Lewis was fifth. Because Science was fourth. Uh, okay. Yeah, Max, Perez, Fernando, Science, Science Lewis. Lewis. Okay. Stroll. But even so, so, okay, so, so for most teams, that'd be a result, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, if you were, you know, if Aston Martin had had that result. Last season, yeah, they would have been absolutely cock a hoop. But it's the expectations, isn't it? and Mercedes, you know, having come off that record-breaking win of however many constructors' championships it was, and however many drivers' championships. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we do see this happen in Formula One, don't we? You know, we saw it happen with, you know, with Michael in the in the two thousands. You know, just because you're up there, you know, people begin to assume that you're invincible. Yeah. You, you may even begin to assume that you're invincible. Um, but sooner or later someone's going to come along and just do a better job and at the moment there are two arguably three teams that are doing that yeah extraordinary um, so final word on F1 yeah I, I remember I interviewed about a year ago just over a year ago actually start of 2022 I interviewed Frank Durney uh-huh. um, for a TI story and he was brilliant um, and that this is he's one of the great F1 aerodynamicists he is several world championships with Williams um, and I, I specifically remember him saying 
that he rates, this was at the start of 22, he said he rates Dan Fallows very highly and he thinks Aston Martin might be one to watch out for in 22. Now clearly that wasn't quite right. And when I watched the season unfold I thought, oh Frank, maybe you don't actually, maybe you're not so in touch with with all the latest happenings. But look what's happened now. Dan <laughs> when when, when, when did Dan go to Aston Martin? I think it was at the end of 21. So yeah, so, so, yeah, but so the 21, the 22 car's already done, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so I don't know when it was, but yeah, it's going to take him a bit of time. Yeah, to so, so it's, it's quite possible that actually this is the first car that he's really, really exactly had a good go at. Yeah, so Frank called it. Well done, Frank Danny. Um, okay, there we go. Well, we've got another Grand Prix in a couple of weeks, so maybe the order Where will are we, where are we going next, Saudi next? Jeddah, yeah, Saudi yeah. Arabia. That mega little street circuit. Yeah. Um, it's, really, it's quite scary, isn't it? Yeah, particularly qualifying. It's really fast. Ask Mick Schumacher. Speed camera yeah. ahead. There you go, speed camera ahead. Oh, good, we've got some, got some background. There's three of us presenting this episode. <laughs> There's you, me, and Waze. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Let's see what happens next time out. But, oh, it was ominous. Right, you have just mentioned it. Go on. We've been running a search over on our social media accounts, uh, yes. particularly our Twitter page, for the greatest Formula One driver of all time. Now, yeah. that came to a, an end on Friday, Friday evening, just gone. Um, and it was Ayrton Senna and Lewis Hamilton who worked their way through all the rounds into the final. They went head-to-head um, in what was actually the closest of the... It was 15 polls that we ran throughout the whole contest. Um which is great, that's how it should be, isn't it? The final should be the most hotly contested one. And Lewis got 56% of the vote, so he won. He won. Um, in politics, 56... Camera ahead. Sorry about ways. Um, yeah, in politics, 56% of the vote is a, is a landslide, isn't is it? Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, fair play. I, I thought... I don't know what I thought. I, I really couldn't call it. Um... And you know there are an awful lot of people who go, well, yes, it's recency bias, um, and, and 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 I think that may well play a part in it. You know, if you do the poll again in a hundred years' time, yeah. um, would Lewis still win it? Don't know. But you know, we had twenty-four drivers, um, and we whittled them down over a fortnight to just two. And it was, it, you know, the thing is, it's people say there's no such thing as the greatest of all time, and you know, I completely agree with them. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with them. You know, how do you compare um, Lewis to Fangio? Well, one way you do it is you bring Fangio back to life and stick him in a, <laughs> in, a, in, a in a modern Formula One car, and then you stick Lewis in a 250F and see how they get on. I mean, it's just everything is so different, isn't it? You know, it's not just the cars, it's not just the circuits, it's the peril. Um, you know, a pretty familiar theme of modern Formula One drivers when they drive old Formula One cars is they just go, I can't believe they even thought about racing these things. Yeah. I mean, they must have been completely insane. I mean, these things are just death traps. Um, and that's not even really, really old Formula One cars. Um, so you can't you can't compare, can you? Not really. At the same time, you know, how would Fangio have put up with, you know, 57 laps of, you know, 4 5 G in every corner? Yeah, exactly um, right. Well, he wouldn't, would he? He would, you know, he would have passed out. Um, so you know, it's, but, but so it was all just a bit of fun, um, and I was a bit surprised that some people were taking it very seriously. They did, they really um, did. And there was a bit of me was quite was quite well, quite pleased that they did because you know it shows that there was passion and there was interest and you know good on them. But um, you know, I don't think you can ask whether did the right driver win it. I think it's a sort of QED thing, isn't it? You know, it was an entirely democratic vote. Um, people chosen at random and the person with the most votes won so yes the right person won it whether you agree with that or not depends on your point of view um, and lots of people have pointed out that we clearly have a mostly British audience yeah um, and they voted for a British driver that's, that's another fair point and as you say it's uh, it's, it's just a bit of fun but also you know we had 20,000 votes cast across the whole thing yeah decent sample size knowledgeable audience yes um and, you know, for instance, Nicky Lauda dumped Jackie Stewart out in the first round. Who'd have thought that? I never saw that coming. a Scotsman. Yeah? Um, so, you know, it's not like people voting were entirely nationalistic about it. No, I mean, they were both um, three-time world champions, so they're actually yeah. quite comparable. 
Um, I'm just trying to think if their careers overlapped. I think they might have done. I think Nicky raced in 73. Stewart's last season was 73. I think Nicky raced yeah. in 73. Um, so, you know, they weren't that far apart in time. They certainly weren't that far apart in achievement. Um, I think that, that, that Nicky has this, rightly, this sort of heroic quality to him. Um, because, obviously, because of the Nürburgring accident and how he came back. And also, he was also very visible until, you know, very shortly before he died. Um, because of his role with uh, with the Mercedes team. But, yeah, it was a good, fun thing to do. And we're going to do more. Somebody suggested that we do the greatest racing car of all time. Yeah. Um, and I really like the sound of that. And, that, and if we did that, we're not just going to keep it Formula One. Well, you know, so you can have speed cam uh, ahead. Maybe even competition cars. So well, why don't we do that? Greatest competition. So we can have rally cars in there. Yeah, um, Dan, that's a good idea. Dan will be on getting every single possible device <laughs> he can muster to vote for some nice. Subaru or something. <laughs> um, and we can have you know, sports cars and Formula One cars and any other cars you like, Can-Am cars, and yeah, that'll be fun. So, so, so we, 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 we might do that in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Um, so thank you to everyone who took part and, and chipping in with your points of view as well um, and well done for the, the vast majority of you managed to keep it mature and sensible and grown up but honestly discussing Formula 1 drivers and how they compare on social media these days is just baked to idiots actually and there's so much toxicity out there around this topic and around F1 at the moment yeah. and it, you know you can it's easy enough to avoid it and you can just disregard it because it's quite silly and petulant but it is bizarre how upset and worked up people get about this it, what I find bizarre is how important it, it appears yeah. to be to them that they get that worked up and that upset about it I mean it's just a sport and yeah. I know that you know you can't just say you know there's that thing about football isn't it, um, it it's it's not life it's more important than that it's, you know it's but it is and also you know, it's it's just opinion, and people coming on and just saying, you know, pe- saying that other people's opinions are just wrong. Yeah. There's no such thing as a wrong opinion. You might not agree with it, but the point about an opinion is it's an opinion, and it's just your point of view. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but actually, we you know we I, 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 I we had some. You always will. Um. But but there wasn't much, and I think that probably and and also you know the people who were posting the really silly stuff, none of them follow us. They just picked no. it up from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So amongst the people who, you know, actually follow us on Twitter, um, and if you don't, please do because you know we're we're going to be more active there, and you know, and, and, and it's our way of, um, of just communicating with you on a sort of instantaneous basis when something happens. Um, you know, so among people who those do do, it was it was a good humoured. Um, closely fought uh, enjoyable contest and it wasn't any more or any less than that yeah again thanks all we'll do more um, okay let's move on because last week well, we're lucky boys aren't we we're on our way now to drive a couple of special cars I won't reveal what they are just yet but last week we did something quite similar um, we went to go and visit Girardo and co yes Max Girardo's really quite spectacular you can't call it a used car dealership, can you? <laughs> well, you, you can try. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very high end um, performance and luxury and racing car sales, whatever. Um, but it's it's an extraordinary facility in Oxfordshire. Um, and when you open, when you go into their big barn, it was a cow shed, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not anymore. It's a beautiful spot now. But when you go in there, honestly, 2030, really beautiful. Um, rare, quite extraordinary. Cars. I mean, really, really rare. And those are just the ones that they got on show. We are allowed to have a quick peek in the storeroom as well, and there's yeah. um, there's some amazing stuff in there. So the, yeah, the the first thing that happens, you open the door, and there's a Ferrari 512S looking back at you. Yeah, amazing. Um, car which came speed camera ahead, which was um, on the podium at Monza in 1970, driven by. You know, Jackie X and John Surtees and people like that, and it's one of the most jaw-droppingly beautiful cars that's ever been created. It was obviously the car that Ferrari created to um, combat the Porsche 917. Didn't quite manage it, but um, yeah, if looks were any indication of speed, it would have been the fastest thing in the world. So yes, and and I decided that I would um, fulfil a lifetime dream of sitting it and discover that I couldn't because I didn't fit. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's not actually what we were there to do. No, so we were there to drive a couple of cars um, 
And actually, we spoke about this on the podcast a little while ago, didn't we? And we said um, that we should get you in a Countach because you'd only driven a bad example and you didn't think very much of it at all. Correct. Um, and so this was your opportunity to have another go in one and see if actually the car was better than that one example let on. Um, now, we're not going to give it all away now because you're going to write a piece um, for the intercooler and we shot this car and the one that I drove on the same day. Um, the shots by Andy Morgan, brilliant photographer, are superb. Um, I can't wait for you all to see them. Uh, but can you kind of give us some summary thoughts or say a little something about the experience? Well, okay. <coughs> all I'm going to say for now is I have wanted for a while to go back and revisit some of the cars that have become, you know, it's the, probably the world's most overused word, particularly when it comes to describing things like this, but, but have genuinely become iconic. And I think a Countach is an iconic car, particularly yeah. if you're a person of a certain age whose bedroom walls were covered in pictures of these things um, and I did have that experience where I drove one a while back um, and it was a bit rubbish and I have been rude about Countach's on this podcast and other places ever since but always qualifying it with the knowledge that you know the car I drove may not have been represented so, so, so it's going to be part of a sort of an occasional series where you're we're going to do um, you know some might say this is just an excuse for me to go off and drive some fun cars but, <laughs> but what I That's want what to do is, is that these cars which were so lionised and lauded when they were new which is why they're is iconicity even a word? Uh, we could make it one we could make it one language of um, <laughs> it's where their iconic status came from I'm going to go and have another look at them um, and I'm going. I'm not going to approach them with a jaundice eye, but I'm going to look at them with a just with a sort of benefit of hindsight and just go: Are they really all they were cracked up to be? And that's really why I went and drove this Countach. Now it was a uh, it was an LP 5000S. Some in some regions they're called the 500S. So this is a sort of um, it's not a QV, which was the, which was the last one, which with the, had the 48 valve cylinder heads. Um, it's a 4.8 liter. Um, yeah, so it's a kind of early 80s car, this one. And in some regards, it was absolutely what I expected. And in others, it wasn't. Um, and I'm afraid I'm really going to annoy you now. Because if you want to find out what I'm, what I'm talking about, you'll have to read the piece. Um, which we will post um, on the Intercooler website and on the app sometime in the next few days. There's a small matter of me having to write it before we do, but um, I shall get around to that this week. Uh, um, okay, I'll make a commitment. Now it's uh, by the Monday by the time it is within a week, it'll be out there. Brilliant. Okay, well I'm looking forward to that. And you drove another car for another reason. Yeah, so I'm um, starting a new series as well. Um, I think I'm going to call it I Have Never, and it's just Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Yeah, exactly. One of those. Um, it's the cars that I or the Again, the iconic cars that I just haven't driven before. Um, because you're seven years old. Because I'm 71. I wish. I'm 36. But, you know, there are plenty of uh, legendary performance cars that I just haven't had a sniff at before. Um, and so I'm going to start ticking off some of those, uh, which I think will be a fun, fun thing to do. The point is, I'm coming at them um, fresh. They're new, you know. I haven't been anywhere near them. Uh, so I can offer a totally original unbiased I suppose perspective on what these cars are actually like to drive no rose tinted spectacles that's right that's the thing isn't I, it yeah that, exactly I didn't have you know unforgettable drives in these cars 10, 20, 30 years ago and that's going to colour my judgement at all Not no I'm coming at them totally fresh uh, so the first one was a Ferrari 550 Marinello um, which do you know I never re when I was reading the car magazines as a kid I didn't get them or I chose not to like them or whatever it was but I wasn't really wasn't into the 550 Marinello but now I think they look stunning um, I, I'm not going to give it away because I will write about this car in the next couple of weeks and again it's been photographed by Andy Morgan um, it was fantastic I'm not going to say anymore but it really really was fantastic that thing um, so yeah we've both got these new series coming um, and we're going to be doing more with Gerardo and Co because they have they have access to some 
mega cars, really, really special cars. Rally cars, race cars, but road cars as well. Um, and working with those guys, well, they make it straightforward, don't they? They make it really easy to go up there. But, but they're, also, they're also just colossal enthusiasts. Yeah, they love it. They, they really just love, love it. it. They're not people who are doing that because that's their job and that's how they get paid. Um, you go up there and everybody, they're, they're like, come look at this, come look at this, come look at this. And they're just... They just want to share the love, don't they? Yeah, um, they do. and, and we like people like that. Yeah. And it's great because they, they've got the cars, we've got the audience, so we go over there, borrow a couple of special machines, write about them, um, and hopefully all of you lot get to read about cars that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, so that's the whole idea, and we're going to do much more. Uh, and I, I can't wait. So look out for these new series, Andrew driving and sort of re-evaluating the Iconics and me driving for the first time the great cars that I've never been anywhere near before um, and actually as it happens we're not on our way to drive two cars we're on our way to drive three cars one of which the third of which is going to be um, another in my new series so I'm very much looking forward to that as well um, now we, we were going to talk about best sounding engine configurations but have we blathered on too much we have blathered on too much and it's too good a topic to rattle off in five or ten minutes so um, let's save that one we'll okay. park that one um, because we definitely need to come on to that there's so much to say about it so we have got a listener question coming up um, and that one's going to take a few minutes actually so oh god yeah and we're both going to have to we haven't done any prep for this one so we're going to be oh, I'm, I don't even know what it is on the fly you at least know what it is I do um, but you'll be fine so but before we come to the list of questions please everyone go and rate and review the podcast but also you're probably listening on the Apple Podcast app. You might be listening Speed on Spotify. You might be listening on Spotify. Whichever it is, just hit the follow or subscribe button. Please. It means you won't miss one, um, but also it really does us a favour. So please go and do that. Um, and as you know, we've got some great stories coming to the Intercooler soon. So why not go and download the app or visit the website, the-intercooler.com, and start your one-month free trial and see what it's all about. So the list of questions comes from Gareth John. Okay, it's a complicated one. At each budget level, and his budget levels are 2,000, 5,000, 10, 20, 50, 100,000 pounds. Oh my goodness. What are the best cars for tackling Britain's potholed roads? Oh my goodness. So two grand, and you need something that's going to cope with <sighs> the British road network at the end of a cold, frosty winter. You know what it's like when the roads are crumbling. Yeah. You don't want to be in something with low profile tyres. You don't right. want to be in a low car. Blimey. £2,000. Well, I've got one. Go on. I'm so glad because I don't. The VW Passat. So, what are we looking for? We're looking for uh, cars that are robust. Yeah. Cars, cars that, that ride. Cars that ride. Cars that probably have nice pillowy tyres. A nice bit of sidewall. Yeah. Yeah, Passat is good. Maybe a bit of wheel travel. Yeah. Um, there was a time before SUVs became a thing where the answer to most sensible questions was a Passat Estate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I like a Passat. It knows exactly what it's trying to do, that car. Yeah. Um, five grand, it might be the Passat again. Any off-roaders or four-by-fours? Well, I mean, there are. Um, you know, you can get, you could probably get quite a nice Freelander for that kind of money. Um whether that's necessarily well I mean something something like that actually I think I think I, actually those sort of um, second hand compact SUVs are just sort of all purpose um, you know disposable things for doing that sort of job I think you know I, I think they work so, okay, so there you go I mean the best Freelander you can get for five grand and you'll be able to get quite a nice one I would think yeah um, ten grand I mean I'm thinking saloon cars now with a, a comfy ride. I think we're going to save the S-Class for a bit later on because I'm, I'm not sure you want to spend 10 grand on an S-Class. Speed camera ahead. Thank you. Um, so what are we going to say? Maybe maybe a 5 Series? Um, you, just don't, you just don't want anything with any kind of... Because apart from, you, know, you, you don't want anything with any kind of low profile on it, do you? No. Because, you know, quite apart from the ride quality implications it's just the damage you're going to do to your wheels if you go and thunk one of these things yeah which is so easily done which is so easily yeah um, and you know and older cars just tend to have lower profile tyres don't they they do they do actually that's that's the, that's probably the, the bigger part of it um, 
20 grand, what am I going to say? Um, I'm going to save, well, maybe, maybe a 20 grand S-Class is a feasible thing. Maybe that's a viable proposition. Um, but the point, yeah, I mean, an S-Class... Okay, when, when, they, when, they okay. ride so serenely you're just not going to know what's going on in the road level. When's please. the Range Rover going to come into the conversation? Because it has to, doesn't it? It really does. Well, I was going to save that for 100 grand because technically 100 grand does buy a new Range Rover and you've got a couple hundred quid in your pocket. Yeah, a new Range Rover with no options on it at all. That 330E has got a Nürburgring sticker on it. Oh, we're following a 330E Touring. It does have a Nürburgring. It's to the ring. Yeah, good right. lad, good lad. Maybe he's a listener. Um, for, well, 50 grand then, I reckon... That's a lovely budget for a previous shape Range Rover. You get a mega one for that, wouldn't you? You would. Yeah. Okay. So, what is the ultimate pothole car? I think it is a Range Rover, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. On the but the thing is, you know, most Range Rovers come on sort of twenty-two inch rims. Don't you don't want those? No. Whatever the smallest rim is, that's the one you want. Yeah. Because it'll be good. Be, travel, load of ground clearance. Yeah. Because because you know, because the thing is is that wheels and tires, whether you're on the twenty-three inch rim or the nineteen inch rim, for a car, they have to have the same. Um, rolling radius so what you lose in rim you make up in sidewall which means ride comfort and pothole mm. resistance so always go always 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 go for the small wheels yep. um, and our friends who are car designers will be shouting at that <laughs> um, but yeah they, but they just you know they're just better yeah there you go well I think we've covered that one off um, thank you Gareth John for your question keep getting these questions across because they're good fun and we'll do another one next week Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 